Right. Okay. Imagine that you have built a watch. And yet, as, as you look at your handiwork, you find that the hands turn the wrong way. Right? Th- this watch does not work because it, it does not do what you meant it to do. You made this watch with, with a purpose, but it isn't properly ordered to fulfill its purpose. Right, a, a properly ordered watch turns the right way and actually keeps time. We, we make things with purpose. And properly ordered things fulfill their purpose. Now, as, as we consider the, the Genesis 1 narrative, we see that God too creates things so that they would be properly ordered to the specific purposes for which he made them. So in this text, we see that that God built the creation to work. He wired specific features into the universe with purpose so that the, the cosmos operates with each piece operating uh, towards its appointed end. We, we also see what that calls those who are made in God's image to do. So the main point today is that God authored the world to have order. And people are meant to be ordered toward everlasting communion with our God. God authored the world to have order. And people are meant to be ordered toward everlasting communion with our God. We're going to think about that in three points. God's purposes, our participation, and God's promises. So, first, let's think about God's purposes. And this point highlights how God created the world, highlights from this text how God created the world with order that is meant to govern His people's lives. So, verses 1 to 2, if we think back to the the first sermon, we considered this in depth, how verses 1 to 2 show that God's first act of creation brought the heavens and the earth into existence, but left them formless and void. Right? Then it was uninhabitable, it was ugly, and non-functional. And then in verse 3, which we considered last week, uh, the entailments, that sometime after the initial creation, God began working the creation to form it in days 1 to 3 and to fill it in days 4 to 6. And in that way, God made the world beautiful. Now, God also made the world functional. It wasn't just beautiful. It also works. He gave it order. So in verses 3 to 5, he brought light to the earth to order the distinction between day and night. And this is important. This is really important because that pattern of day and night ordered God's own work routine. Now, when we talk about God working and resting, it is metaphorical. 
right? We, we kind of know that in, intuitively, but God does not need time to accomplish his will since he, he could bring it about instantly, nor could God tire and need rest. It's so still, though, Scripture depicts God as working throughout the day and ceasing to work at night. And God, God patterned his routine that way and revealed that pattern to us so that we would know that it's our proper order too. God's work in establishing the, the pattern of day and night to govern the routines of human life, however, is actually not the end of God's work in authoring order. So in verses 6 to 8, God formed the atmosphere around the earth and, and established the, the upper waters, the clouds, uh, so that life forms that God wanted to make would have an adequate habitat. Right? That's something that we need. Proper order requires that we have all that we need to live. In verses 9 to 13, God created plant life, but, here's the thing, formed the plant life so that it would reproduce according to its kind. God built the plant life so that it had the ability to make more plants according to their kind, which profoundly marks his authorship of of order in the world, right? If if you plant an apple seed, you get an apple tree. Life would be much harder if apple seeds could just as easily produce rocks or chickens as trees. But God authored the natural world with order. God built the universe's stable structure like this, the according to its kind mechanisms on which scientific investigation depends. And and this stability that allows our reliable examination depends upon the doctrine of creation that God authored the world with order. In verses 14 to 19, God made the sun, moon, and stars so that they would be for signs and seasons and for days and years. God could have made the world with an unpredictable pattern of light and dark, but he made it so that Earth's rotation around the sun according to set laws of physics would ensure order for the patterns of human life according to various time measurements. God fixed order into how we experience the passing of time. And in Day 6 from verses 24 to 31, God instilled again the principle of, of order that animals and people reproduce according to their kind. Right? Animal breeders make their living off the dependability of, of this certain dog reproducing the same kind of dog and the predictability of you know, combining two somewhat different dogs to get you know, a, a mixed breed. But apart from even that sort of thing, the, the, the principles of order show how, how God made things with specific purpose. He, he purposed day and night to pattern human life of work and rest. 
He purposed the development of the natural world to support life. He purposed plant growth according to its kind for ensuring sustainable food and decoration for the world. God purposed the sun and moon for directing us in knowing how time passes. God's purposes show how the order of the universe reveals how the God who authored it is indeed the God of order. That brings us to our second point, our participation. So we, we considered how God is the author of order, noting several ways in which God clearly hardwired the world to be properly ordered. And this point examines the, the ways that God, as the author of order, calls us to live in light of how we are, we are God's image made to reflect him. So I want to highlight how God's process of forming and filling the world reveals something of what we should reflect as his image. We should all admit, without controversy, that God could have made the world in its completed form instantly. God is that powerful. God can do what he wants. Still, God described the creation events as taking time. Whatever you might think of the length of these days, certainly God has revealed his pattern of working so that we might learn how God calls us to imitate him in our patterns of life. So first, right, first, this narrative teaches us that we were made also with the purpose of vocation, calling to a task, right? Even though creation was in some sense complete once God formed and filled the earth, in another sense, he commissioned us in verse 28 to complete that same task when he commanded us, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and also exercise dominion over it. So so therefore, having a a task in the world, something at which we work, whether that be paid or unpaid, something that you're called to do, that is part of reflecting God. Now second, being God's image calls us to imitate God not only by furthering his work of of forming and, and filling the world in, in expanding the garden and, and reproducing ourselves to, to spread God's image afar, but also by reflecting the way that God worked. So most pointedly there, God's use of time to bring about what is good teaches us to be patient in bringing about what is good as we work. God did not need to use time to complete creation, but he did spread his work across the days. God carefully did what he thought was best for each day, and then he rested. God called various stages of the process, good, pausing to appreciate the work done apart from 
assessing its completion. God's pattern of work, though, teaches us as well to exercise patience. We tend not to prize the actual process, the the routine and the process of work. Especially today, we think oftentimes that, that working endless hours makes us good workers. Instead of appreciating the process of accomplishing work in proportion, we fill every hour with things to be done. We prioritize quantity over quality. We take even sinful pride in working overwhelming hours at various things, not just our jobs, as if we are better or or more valuable for breaking God's pattern of work. Often cherishing the fact that we feel like we outworked the maker. I used to build uh, model fighter jets, which is perhaps a very American thing to do. But one of the things that's very clear about this is if you build everything at once, right? And I learned this the hard way. If you build everything at once, the final product is just rubbish, right? Paint is going to run everywhere and and parts aren't going to sit flush. It's just going to be worth throwing away. You have to build it one, one piece at a time. So build one thing, paint it, let it sit and dry, and come back and do some more. The point there is that part of the accomplishment is appreciating the process, not just the product. If we cannot do that across our lives, though, we end up throwing them away, racing through tasks one to another, without enjoying just what is. Working endless hours does not define our value. And in fact, makes us rebels against God's order for work. It can be really difficult to, to set a healthy pattern for accomplishing what you should today and leaving all that could be done for tomorrow. And we all have different capacities and different vocations, and that is something we have to account for. And yet, still, Genesis calls us to do exactly that in imitating God in whose image we are made. First, right, if, if you don't rest at the end of each day, then you are not properly reflecting God. God's moral example, and he does give that to us, requires that we learn to rest after a period of work. Second, in, in that patience is a virtue entailed by following God's example. Genesis calls you to slow down and appreciate the process 
of work in proportion. Our participation in God's order of creation is that we need to learn more about the pattern of life as creatures who depend depend upon the passing of days and years and who need to appreciate the patience of enjoying the process of our callings. That brings us to our third point, God's promises. That's right. Okay, so we, we saw first God authored creation with order and how that calls us as God's image to some particular responses in our role in the world. Now, those responses are built into us naturally in that God made the world, including us, and it was good. But now we need to consider how this text, what, what this text says to us as sinners in need of rescue. So we've considered sort of the natural aspect of this, and now we need to consider something supernatural. And Genesis reveals God's properly ordered purpose for us, too. Creation shows a progression of ordered purpose, and that purpose culminates not with us, but with the Sabbath, which God consecrated that we use it to join Him in worshipful rest. So the ultimate end to which God ordered all of creation is communion in worship between God and His people. It's the entire end for which God is making the world in this text. For fallen people, though, sin has disordered us. Christians rightly emphasize the the guilt of sin as a violation of God's covenant law. But sometimes I think we might understate how sin's effects are not limited to its penalty. Sin also corrupted our very nature. It has disordered us. Whereas creation revealed God ordered us by nature to the supernatural end of everlasting life, sin disordered everything about us, like opening your car's circuitries, clipping all the wires, and reattaching them randomly. That's the effect of sin on our constitution. Romans 1, 18 to 32 describes this, this, these dysfunctional effects of sin. And sort of, and, and verses 21 to, to 23 capture kind of the essence of this, saying, for although they knew God, right, properly ordered by nature, they knew God, although that, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, disordered, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, disordered, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged something's disordered and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and and creeping things. We replaced our God with things that God made. And this wrongful rewiring of our constitution means that our sin 
has to be addressed in, in more fundamental ways than we may often realize. Salvation does not only deal with sin's penalty as in justification, but also with sin's power as in sanctification. And now here's the thing. I, I think that, that we often think that, that sanctification is about committing to do individual good things more often, as if it is about growing in our toughness to say yes to what is good and no to what is bad. And certainly it includes that, right? But the Westminster Shorter Catechism, 35, says sanctification is a work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed after the in the in the whole man renewed in the whole man after the image of god and then are enabled more and more to die into sin and live unto righteousness so sanctification includes growing in our ability to do good and and to shun evil as titus 2 11 and 12 make clear but sanctification is first the renewal of the whole person It is a continual rewiring of our persons, our constitutions, back to what God made us to be. And and this means that all those wires that we, by our sin, have cut and, and reattached in all the wrong places have to be cut again and reattached in the right places. Because we're disordered and we need to be reordered. This rewiring so that we are properly ordered again to, to want, to love, and desire what is good, that process can be really painful as those wires, the things that towards which we gravitate, that desiring itself has to be severed Those wires have to be cut again, but despite its difficulty and its pain, that process brings great reward of being truly human when we are again properly ordered, right? Because when we are disordered and when we give into that, we're not even behaving properly human. It's not what we meant to be. A watch that turns the wrong way isn't really a watch, right? People that aren't properly ordered to everlasting communion with God aren't properly, aren't really acting like humans. But right, the process, the process. Let's go back to our second point. This, this means that we also have to be patient in our sanctification. As individuals, and as the church, which may be the harder one for us. God takes a lifetime to sever the wires in our hearts that power wickedness. Sanctification is more than working hard at resisting temptation. It's more than that. It rewires your heart so that you not only resist disparaging others, but prefer collegiality to your personal prestige. 
It reorders your person so that you not only resist pornography, but desire only your spouse and desire to respect other humans made in God's image rather than wanting to fulfill your lustful longings. And that takes a long time individually. But but this rewiring is actually where we, we need to focus our efforts. Temptation is not a moment simply to tough it out, to, to get to the other side and do well, but, but an opportunity to see your circuitry rewired. Because every time that you give in to temptation, it makes it harder to divert that current in a different electrical pathway the next time. But every time you do decide for faithfulness, it builds a stronger pathway and a stronger habit of holiness. And so that means, right, when, when temptation is its most intense, we cannot flinch just because temptation feels harder. But even in that moment of difficulty, have to be patient in enduring, in pressing forward, so that we don't just do well in this moment, but that our hearts actually change. And then we think a church is just a bigger circuit board composed of smaller, wrongly ordered circuits. And in that, we we easily know what we wish our church is, right? We should have pews rather than chairs. We need a different color carpet. The song should be better. The preaching isn't that good, especially today, right? But we have to be patient, right? Church isn't just about getting what we want. Sometimes maybe God doesn't give us what we want so that we learn to be properly ordered again. And we we grow in being patient in these things because we know that the imperfections or failures that can mark any church exist because we as individuals contribute by our sin. We are one of those disordered circuits on the circuit board of the church. Despite, though, our ongoing war with our own nature, Romans 8.29 displays God's promises, our point, God's promises that God has predestined His elect to be conformed, to be conformed to Christ. God reorders us through sanctification. He will conform us to Christ because the gospel entails that He who gave His own Son for us as He died to forgive our sin and rose for our justification, God will, with Him, graciously give us all things. Whereas we find ourselves working like a watch that turns the wrong way, God reorders us so that we function like He intended. 
properly ordered to everlasting communion with him. And God reorders us primarily through using the very thing toward which he originally ordered us. The Lord's Day's ordinary means of grace. Right? The, the Sabbath crowns what is beautiful in the world. The experience of communing rest with God is the pinnacle of, of splendor available to humanity. There is no higher end that you can achieve than this moment. Have you thought about that? Our great privilege is to be ordered towards communion with our God. And even when that seems distant, it is our great privilege that God reorders us to that communion by meeting us despite our sin and speaking to us as He summons us into that communion of worshipful rest. And I wonder if you know what that means, right? I I wonder if it makes sense to you to be ordered towards communing rest with God. If if that seems like a a fanciful thing, why, why am I after that? The moment of being in the presence of God... And how could I not have that whenever, wherever I am, as I am? Well, I'd commend to you the gospel. And the story of the gospel is that you have indeed rebelled against your God who made you to be very good. And you have thrown yourself into sin. And you don't cherish communion with your God because you're disordered. And yet God has sent his son who died on the cross, lived the perfect life, fulfilled all the righteousness we need, died on the cross to forgive our sin, and rose from the grave to testify that all of his work has been accomplished and accepted for you. And all you have to do is trust in him by faith. Would you go to Christ now? so that you might be restored to communion with God and be enabled to grow in your communion with God and know what this moment right now actually means? Or maybe you do know exactly what's happening right now. That you are sitting, resting. You're not working right now. You are resting in the presence of your God. And that is because the Lord Jesus Christ has fulfilled all that we need to obtain that rest forever. That, dear Christian, makes us cherish our Savior all the more and relish this time that we have to commune with our God just as he intended for us from the beginning. Let's pray. Father God, let us not overlook what this moment right now is. Rest. 
worshipful rest in the presence of our God and the thing for which you made us to experience. There is nothing more we can achieve than being right here, being addressed by the God of the universe through his word with the promise of everlasting communion with you. Sometimes we wish these services would end. We have other things to do. Help us, God, to appreciate that right here, right now, this is what it means to be truly human. To dwell in the presence of our God forever. And we can do so because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help that to be the all-encompassing reality that frames our life every day knowing that we were ordered for this. We do pray that you would help us to be patient in all that you give us, that we would learn to work according to your pattern, that we would be patient in our sanctification, but indeed that we would be diligent to seek after it, that we might be rightly ordered even in the moment-by-moment experience of our life. Not because, not because any of our obedience earns favor with you, but because we long to be more like the Savior who has rescued us. Because we know that the God who made a beautiful creation is beautiful. And we long to be like that. We pray that you would work this in us, even now. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.